Welcome to 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Drew Creaseman. As always, I'm very excited to be talking baseball with you here on the podcast and really excited to be talking actual baseball with you here on the podcast because there's been so much. It's been about the CBA or an offseason from hell and all kinds of nonsense. And while there actually is still more to unpack there and I want to get into some of the details, I want to talk about it with some people that are much smarter than me, including hopefully before too long here, Dan Zimborski from Fangraphs. Uh, Of course, I'll have plenty of my own thoughts as well. But We got a gift from the baseball gods as Rockies people. Not necessarily, don't get me wrong, don't turn it off already. Does Drew think the signings from yesterday are going to save the team? We're going to get into them. I'm just... I'm just so happy, you guys. (laughs) All of you out there. I just... To be talking about this. To have a day where we can just look at three players, the Rockies sign, talk about what they bring, what they don't, why they were brought in, what they could possibly do to make an impact on the club. And it just makes me so happy to be talking about that and not taxes and negotiations and all that other nonsense. So let's get right into it because there are three really interesting, they're interesting, whether or not they're, you know, amazing. We're going to get into all that, but I think there's three really interesting moves that the Rockies have made here. Let's begin with what I think has the most, uh, the highest chance to be a high impact maneuver. And that's the acquisition of reliever Alex Colome. Now, this one's really, really interesting. I know the Rockies have had interest in him for a while, and he has been various levels of good to even great throughout his career. But he's also 33 years old. He's been on the downswing a little bit, and we're not sure yet. I haven't been able to find anywhere. I don't think it's been publicly reported unless it happened just as I was recording this, what the contract is. So... Whether or not this is a good move is going to depend to some degree on that. And of course, to some degree on whether or not Alex Colome can kind of find the the fountain of youth here just a little bit or or get his form back. Because last season uh, for Minnesota, he pitched to a 4.15 ERA, picked up 17 saves. A 103 ERA plus is still above league average. And so it's probably worth noting that at the very least, the acquisition of Alex Colome makes the Rockies bullpen better unless he's truly just going to continue to be on the downswing and this next year, you know, will be the first year that he's well below average because the lowest ERA plus that he's ever posted in his career was back in 2015 and it was a 99. So he was a league average pitcher in 99. He was also a league average pitcher for a brief time in between at 21 innings in, in Tampa Bay. Uh, but, but still over the course of that season above average, you know, just back in 2019, the, the full season, obviously in between, uh, he was great in 2020 as well, but only pitched 22 innings, but he had an ERA plus of five fifty eight. That's insane. He had 12 saves in 2020 and an 081 ERA for the Chicago White Sox. He's just how ha- he's coming off this down year. And obviously, he's starting to get up there in age for for a pitcher. But 33 isn't, you know, it shouldn't all be gone. So it's going to be interesting. There are a few different ways this can go. For the course of his career, the guy's got a 133 ERA plus. That's very, very good. A 311 raw ERA. He has 155 saves in his career. And, you know, I don't think that the Rockies are necessarily even bringing him in, expecting him to just take over the closer role, even though 
That's what he's done throughout a lot of his career. He led the league in saves in 2017 with 47. He was an all-star the year before in 2016. And, you know, I, I... there's a lot of potential. Again, it does depend a little bit on whether or not the Rockies spent some money here, but they certainly didn't spend, you know, Wade Davis, Brian Shaw kind of money. It's not, that stuff usually gets reported right away. And it's not this big, you know, three-year, $27 million contract. And if it's a one-year deal, you know, then, and I'm pretty sure that it is. I think that's the one thing that's been out there. Then great. Uh, you know, it's it remains to be seen. He... The Rockies do not have eight relievers on their roster better than Alex Colome. They just don't, unless all these guys pop, which would be great news, and all of a sudden the bullpen won't be so bad. But barring that, this is an improvement to the pen. It just is. Now, I don't think you should necessarily expect him to come in and be the type of player he's been in the past. You know, I, I know people get the, you know, I'll, I'll talk about the Albert Pujols thing at the very end uh, of this podcast today, but similarly with that situation you know the rockies like to criticize or people like to criticize the rockies for getting guys like past their prime right and that that all depends on what you're trying to get out of those players as long as you're not overpaying them there's nothing wrong with getting a guy who you know maybe doesn't cost as much as he used to but has a talent knows what it's like to be at the top and maybe if he can regain a little bit of that form you get that and if not then then you aren't out that much you know he's still going to be a solid contributor to the bullpen almost certainly again unless he has the absolute worst year of his career in Colorado which wouldn't be the first time that's happened to a pitcher and it tends to happen at the ends of careers anyway so all of that could all be there I should also mention that he's a cutter heavy guy and so exactly what I just said right around this age time also happened to two other cutter heavy guys in Brian Shaw and Wade Davis right guys who'd been elite or very very good for quite a while in other places they're brought to denver their primary pitch became a bit of an issue and they were never themselves wade davis did have one good year as a rocky brian shaw never had any and everyone is their own man but i wouldn't be absolutely shocked if colome can't get it together and doesn't end up being one of the Rockies' eight best relievers, but I wouldn't be surprised either if he spends the entire year as their closer. So this is an interesting pickup. It's exactly the kind of thing. Again, I try to be very consistent about these things. And I know a lot of people, you know, have a hard time with that type of analysis. And so I understand, but I try to carve out exactly what I think that the Rockies should do in theory, and then match what they do against whether or not they do that. And I don't think it's a good idea to spend big dollars on the bullpen because relievers can be volatile in general and Rockies relievers can be that much more volatile, right? You never know exactly what you're going to get out of these guys. And so I've always advocated for picking up more veteran type pieces or guys that might be reclamation projects. Remember, Greg Holland was a big reclamation project as well. And bringing them in maybe on incentive-laden deals. And maybe that's part of the reason why we don't have the details for this just yet. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of incentives in Colome's contract. If it starts out fairly basic. But hey, he can make some money if he does end up becoming the closer and finishing X number of games, whatever. That's usually how they do that. And I think that would be interesting. And I think they need a few more of those guys. So I think that's how you go about it. Because they're not going to hit on all of them. You need to do two or three more of these. Because your bullpen has to get better 
You can't rely on the people who are in it to just get better, even though that possibility definitely exists. And you can't necessarily rely on guys' resumes and paying for what they've been in the past. So as long as the understanding here is that they're not paying for what he's been, but paying for what they kind of expect him to be now. And again, he's coming off a career low year. And so that can, you know, usually impact your, your pay, you know, maybe he thinks, and I've always thought this would be an interesting strategy for certain guys at times in their career. You know, if you believe in yourself, you bet on yourself, you say, I'll take a one year contract to go pitch in Denver, because if I'm great, it'll be undeniable that I'm still good. And I'll really have to get paid the next year by one of these bigger market teams. That makes a ton of sense to me as a pitcher. Now, of course, it can go the other way. You get blown up and, you know, like Wade Davis, and I know that Wade Davis and Brian Shaw both ended up in other places, but more or less ended their careers, right? And so you got to be careful about that too. But I, I found this one to be very interesting, actually, because he's somebody I, I've known that the Rockies have liked for a long time. Uh, it was just in 2019 when he was 64% better than the league average. And in 2020, in that shortened season, uh, you know, he had a he was absolutely fantastic in his 22 innings of work with an 081 ERA, which is absolutely ridiculous. So, you know, again, if you don't expect all that, but you know the possibility is there for you to maybe get some of that, I think this is going to end up being a pretty good pick at the very least, a, a pretty good pickup for the Colorado Rockies. We'll see how it all ends up going down. Of course, that is why they play the games. But uh, he's always had you know pretty consistent peripherals to finish off on him. Never huge strikeout numbers, but typically up above eight. Uh, you know, walk rates just over three. You'd like to see it under, if at all possible, but that's handleable. So a lot of the other things besides the cutter. You know, not a, he's a big ground ball guy. That's another thing that can be helpful at Coors Field, not letting the ball get into the air too much, not giving up too many home runs. He's managed to keep that in check throughout most of his career, though again, last year was his worst year in terms of giving up home runs. But there could be something here. And if not, I'd, I'd be surprised to find out the Rockies are too deeply invested in him. And so in my mind, that's exactly the kind of player they need to be getting in the bullpen. Now, it can't be just him. If, if they're really trying to surprise some people, if they really want their bullpen to maybe potentially be decent or good this year, they need a couple more of these because they're not part of the thing. It, it's only a good deal if it's done in context with everything else around it. You know, you need enough of these so that at the end of the day, you've got a solid bullpen. Let's get to the position players that they signed, uh, starting, of course, with shortstop Jose Iglesias. Now, this is an interesting one as well. And in fact, I've been talking with somebody on Twitter about this very possibility because the Rockies are kind of stuck in this weird spot where the only shortstops they have in-house are really just not... They, they can't hit. I'm sorry. I just, I, 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 Alan Trejo may turn into a great hitter one day. It's possible Garrett Hampson figures out his issues with right-handed pitching, but they, they also may need Garrett Hampson in, in a number of other roles. And so, you know, they were just kind of in a bind here at shortstop. They're considering moving Ryan McMahon over. I talked about that. They're worried about Brendan Rodgers' uh, shoulder maybe a little bit or, or just putting Brendan in, in the best position to remain healthy and get the most out of him, which is probably at second base. And he's really taken to playing that position as well. And so bringing in this guy who for most of his career has been an excellent defender. Now, 
again, you're not getting peak Jose Iglesias, right? He too is past it. You know, he's at 32 years old. So maybe not way past his prime, but certainly past his prime. He's not the, you know, he's been an all-star as well. Uh, in fact, he was an all-star in 2015. He was second for rookie of the year way back in 2013. Uh, he's been a fantastic defender throughout his career, although the defensive metrics didn't love him as much last year. Uh, there's a lot of disagreement in the metrics over Jose Iglesias, actually, and especially depending on whether or not you're looking at uh, baseball reference or fan graphs. Fan graphs sees him as a decently above average player every year of his career. He's been worth at least one win above league average, which is not something that you were going to be able to count on, uh, you know, for any of these other guys who were internal options. And at one year, $5 million, that's perfectly acceptable for that amount of production. Essentially, you know, if he's going to give you this even if he's not the incredibly dynamic, like gold glove caliber, I don't think he's ever won a gold glove. I would have to double check. I don't see any on here. Um, but no, it doesn't look like he's got any, but, but he's had that caliber of defense before at shortstop. He's been very, very good. Even if he's not that anymore, he's still very reliable. He's not going to cost you defensively. He's not going to make rookie mistakes. He's not going to have the kind of weight of uh, having to prove himself like some of these other players who uh, were potential options here. He's just a solid veteran who's been in the league for quite some time, has you know almost uh, a thousand games played. In fact, he's at 978. And another thing to remember is that he's one of these guys that fits in the category where the metrics don't love his bat. They never have. They never will. But he's got a little bit of that Rymel Tapia issue as well, where he strikes out at a remarkably low clip, 12% for his career. It was 14% last year. He's got a good batting average, a stat that, again, people don't really like to take into account, but it was 277 over his career. He hit uh, 271 last year in 2021 in 50, uh, 511 plate appearances. Uh, the last full season before that, of course, 2019, he was with Cincinnati, 530 plate appearances, a 288 batting average, but of course the 82 WRC plus, but he's one of these guys who puts the ball in play a lot. And so, you know, as I've got it carved out right now, I would still have Iglesias batting like ninth in the lineup with the Rockies, you know, having a DH. Some of this depends on if they can manage to sign somebody in the outfield, there are a few different elements here. So he's not going to be a big impact bat by any means. He has, you know, 44 home runs for the entire course of his career. The most he ever hit in a season was in 2019 when he hit 11. Uh, you know, he's also had some stolen bases throughout his career. He's not going to bring you a ton of speed. 15 is the max that he's ever had. He's just a, a kind of decent all around player that doesn't have the big pop you know and so it's going to be interesting to see how that bat plays at Coors Field because while it's fair and helpful in certain conversations to look at a potential inflated batting average for a guy who puts the ball in play a lot in an environment where balls in play are rewarded more than they are anywhere else and be like well you know those numbers are inflated but whatever they still count like the the player may not be actually as good in that situation you know it's kind of the DJ LeMahieu thing you know, DJ LeMahieu, though, went from a place where his contact ability led to a whole bunch of base hits to a place where it 
led to a bunch of home runs for a little while because of the short porch in right field, right? And that hasn't fully continued for him. But I'll be very fascinated to see if this guy who is basically being panned as, you know, a black hole on offense, like he hasn't really been that kind of guy since maybe 2017 he hit 255 on base 288 that's pretty bad right still only struck out 13 percent of the time but a 72 wrc plus pretty bad uh still it's going to feel worse because you know putting the ball in play or whatever but it's again that was a, that was a while ago 2017 he's been more of this guy who's who's hit a little bit better ever since not again he's not an impact bat he doesn't make the lineup way better he's certainly better than what the Rockies were going to have to go with and their internal options more reliable and I think it's going to play up I won't be shocked if you know uh, we look down and there are these moments where you know he's hitting 300 for the course of a month and people are like I thought this guy was supposed to be a terrible hitter like he's been very very consistent at making contact throughout his career uh, if we're, you know, going back to banning certain forms of the shift or whatever, you know, it's just like, it's, it's funny. Like th- there's, there's a lot of different ways to look at these players. And, you know, I, I think that ultimately if you want to get back to just looking at his wins above replacement or whatever, he's just been a solid player throughout his career. I've always liked him. He's never been a star. He's never really been close to a star. Even the year he was an all-star, it was just like, Hey, the guy's having a great year in Detroit, phenomenal defense. You know, he hit 300 that year, uh, stuff like that. And so could he do that again? Absolutely. You know, should you expect it? No. Uh, does it turn the Rockies into contenders? No, uh, I don't think that that move is really out there. I think the Rockies have to make a whole bunch of moves. But I think these are the kinds of things that do help you provide a a better baseline. If you're going to sneak up on people, you can't have someone at shortstop who's a total project. You just can't. And Iglesias, for everything he might not be, he's not a project. He's not a question mark. He's not a guy who's learning to play the position or learning Major League Baseball, figuring it out for himself. This guy's got a lot of playing time over the years for a lot of different teams for a reason because he knows the game. And so the Rockies have got themselves a pretty solid player here. You know, no, it's not but Trevor Story or or Troy Tulowitzki. You know, that was that wasn't an option. That wasn't on the table. I thought it was really interesting that the Cubs got a lot of praise for picking up Andrelton Simmons, who's been much more up and down and really throughout his career, a much worse hitter than Iglesias for basically the same price. You know, I I get Lal Rockies and all that, but, you know, I, I think a lot of this is just caught up in where's the big move, right? And I think that's a totally legitimate critique. And I, as I'm saying throughout this entire conversation, the Rockies really do think that they can make a move here with a 12-team postseason and count on their starting pitching and make a lineup that's capable of winning just enough games that they really can sneak into this thing. And I think that potential's out there. I think it's a short, I think it's a small window that they'd have to hit. You know, you land a Chris Bryant and put him on this team now with a with a really capable shortstop with these young players and Rodgers and McMahon have the chance to pop guys like Hilliard still around uh you know and, and then you just throw in a, a like a superstar bat like that who's maybe motivated to prove that he's still a superstar after these last couple of years for him were a little bit weird and i think that 
you could have a team that surprises some people. Now, as constituted, no. And the bullpen is going to remain a giant question mark. It just is, and it's going to be a huge part of the team. But these little things aren't bad just because they're not enough. That's, you know, the last couple of things that I'll talk about here. Only briefly, the Scott Schebler thing. Hey, there's there's an old uh, saying in baseball, there's no such thing as a bad minor league deal. Schebler's never been super interesting to me. Oddly enough, he had a year in 2017 where he hit 30 home runs, but he also batted 233 and only ended up with an OPS plus barely over league average at 102. So like, you know, in the next year he hit 17 home runs and since then he just, he hasn't been uh, great, but he's still only 31 years old. Some big left-handed pop there. You do have DH options for these guys if if they get hot, and if not, oh well, you know it's not really going to matter. But that one's just kind of interesting. And I'll finish on the Albert Pujols thing because you could say the same thing, but it's just more interesting to talk about Albert Pujols, which is again like I get, <laughs> I understand, I really do that like. No one was clamoring for Albert Pujols to come and save the Rockies. But let's all be 100% honest with ourselves. Colorado Rockies, there was not a series of free agent moves unless they just signed everybody, which they've never done. They were never going to do. They don't operate that way. They don't have that kind of, well, uh, after the CBA saying they don't have that kind of money, you know, you, you don't want to lend credence to that stuff. But you know what I mean in, in the competi- in the relative market when other teams can just outspend them in certain ways. But beyond that, like it's just not realistic to have believed that the Rockies were going to make seven huge free agent signings and totally turn the ship around in one off season. Right. And so I think that in 2022, either way, we are looking at a year where the Rockies are experimenting with some ideas, you know, trying some stuff out, seeing who's going to be, a real keeper for this next window and who isn't and maybe putting themselves in a position to surprise some people. If they get early breaks in the season, maybe a swing, a trade or, or maybe you ride some momentum. Suddenly you've got to play Connor. Joe turns into a superstar and all of a sudden you're just riding that momentum, you know, stuff like that happens sometimes. So you put yourself in that spot. And I think that that's fine. You know, and, and I get that people want the big move. And in a way, I do too. You know, I don't think there's any other avenue really for like the in between moves. The Mets took both of the outfielders I wanted, which was interesting. Uh, you know, the I don't, I don't think there are those in between guys in there. I think you've got to land one of these outfielders. And quite frankly, having looked over their statistics, Whoever's the best deal. I think Chris Bryant is obviously the the prize to be won there. And he's probably the most expensive. You know? But I, I think Chris Bryant could do some very, very interesting things in a Colorado Rockies uniform. And we'd give them a certain amount of, you know, diversity in what they can do with their roster and, and their lineup. You know? And that would be great. But you're outbid for him or you feel like you can't afford him or just doesn't want to come here, whatever else it is. If you get uh, Castellanos is probably in that same category, honestly, but he's a worse defender, but he's been a phenomenal hitter over the last couple of years. You can't get him. 
Michael Conforto or Kyle Schwarber, like all of these, any one of these guys would immediately make the Rockies a lot more interesting to me for the, can they surprise people? But if they can't land one of those dudes, and that's basically the list, unless there's somebody out there, there, you know, names get bandied about in trades and stuff. That's another thing. Like, could they land someone in a trade? But of the free agents, you know, you land Chris Bryant, things get real interesting. I start kind of looking a little deeper at could these guys surprise people as it stands right now. They're just putting together, you know, a quality team, uh, not a, you know, I should say quality players at, at each position that are, you know, if, if they're going to do anything, they're going to have to amount to a lot more than the sum of their parts, right. Until they bring in that star player, if that's possible, if not, that's just not the the season we're going to be looking forward to, and you know we'll find out. I, I I'd love it. I'd love to see them do it. Uh, I, you know they've been talking, they've been saying all the right names from the beginning. As soon as the off season started, you know th- these were the guys that they were in on, and if they can land one of them, it is going to make for quite the intriguing conversation with the expanded postseason. If not, I just still don't think they're that team. And I think it's okay to be more slowly building if that's what they're going to do toward 2023, as long as you do it wisely. And as long as you don't overextend yourself. Part of the problem with getting players like Bryant or Castellanos is that you typically have to sign big, you know, multi-year contracts. And so you've got, you've got to be locked into them for a certain amount of your future as well. And that comes with a lot of risk. And are they going to be past their primes by the time that guys like Zach Veen and Benny Montgomery and Drew Romo are doing their thing for this team? So maybe going with somebody, maybe you get a shorter deal or certainly you'll get a less expensive deal for a player like Kyle Schwarber. I'm very intrigued by that too. So yeah, we'll see what they do, but I don't think them not doing those big moves make these little moves bad things. I don't, and I've seen a lot of people going, oh, they must think we're stupid, saying like, oh, we're, these players are going to solve the problem. They don't They don't think that any of these guys are franchise shifters, right? Alex Colome, Jose Iglesias, Scott Shebler, they're not franchise shifters. They're not getting paid that kind of money. They're not supposed to be. You can tell what an organization thinks of a player, ultimately, by that price tag, you know? And five million bucks for... Um, Solid, solid veteran shortstop who could maybe even move to becoming a backup shortstop if it turned out you did have somebody else pop or or whatever else happens. You know, it just makes your team a little bit better. Does it make them enough better? No, but it makes them a little bit better. And I think all of these moves have made the Colorado Rockies a little bit better and in, in smart ways that don't, you know, hold them to any kind of future risk if any of these players don't pan out oh well but if they do pan out they could pan out quite nicely and they could end up being key cogs in a team that does sneak their way into the postseason they're just not they've got to finish that puzzle if that's the plan you need one more giant piece and we're gonna stay right here at mile high sports find out if they get it i'll be writing all about there you'll be listening to these podcasts i'm sure Subscribing to all the other Mile High Sports podcasts, reading all the stuff there at milehighsports.com, and just continuing to be absolutely awesome out there. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.